It's a very, very special day for us. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, every single one of you. You know, as a tradition here at this church, uh, let me just share with you a couple things. Number one, if, when the ladies, if you go upstairs, when you pick up your children, they should have a gift for you, a flower. So act surprised and, and, uh, and, and really love it. it they, I, I think the kids are being prepped to really give you a, a nice, wonderful gift. Now, that's for all the moms that have the kids upstairs. For those of you that do not have children, you're not moms yet. You're not even married yet. You're women. We love you. Traditionally here at the church, we believe that Easter is every doggone day. I don't think anybody would say doggone with that, would they? Every day is Easter. We believe that there is a resurrected Lord that we love every single day of our lives. So when people come to our church on Easter, it's it's another day for us. It's It's another day to celebrate the very essence of the risen Savior whom we love. Well, in the same token, Mother's Day is once a year, but to us here at this church, the women of our church, you are beyond precious to us. You ladies mean so much to us, there's no way we can put it into words. Any man that's worth his weight in salt knows that anything that we do is, is really foundationally set upon the very essence of our wives and our women, the women that we are, are, are part of and part of our lives. I know myself, for one, I've been in ministry here with this church now a little bit close to 11 years. I don't know what I'd do without Jenny Johnson. I don't know what I'd do without Jenny Johnson. She is everything to me. Just the essence of it. And so, ladies, we celebrate every single one of you, whether you're a mom or not. And so the women who do not go upstairs to pick up their kids, we have some flowers to, for you at, at the door when you leave. And we want you to accept that on behalf of our thankfulness for who you are in this church. Whether you're a mom or not, irrelevant. That you are a woman means everything to us at this church. So thank you, ladies. Gentlemen, would you do me a favor? Ladies, you all sit down. Gentlemen, would you rise with me and stand up for a moment? And would we properly give thanks to the women in our life? Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Ladies, God bless you. God bless you. We love you very much. Um, We're in such an interesting place in the Word of God. This is the third time I get to preach this message, and I'm going to miss it. It is just a great place in the Word of God. We're in 1 Peter. We're in the third chapter. This has absolutely nothing to do with Mother's Day. We as a church don't build a... Uh, a message around moms. You know, let's, let's look in the Bible and see what it says about moms and preach to moms. No, we, we preach the Word of God here. And where we are in Scripture is in 1 Peter chapter 3. And it's probably one of the most intriguing places in Scripture. And I want to try to explain it to you this morning to make you understand why this is such an, an amazing place in the Word of God. Let's read it first and see if it makes any sense to you And see if you understand what is being said. Let me tell you this before we get into it. Uh, There's two commentaries that I just really, uh, I just cherish and, and, and hold on to these two gentlemen because I don't want to study on my own to a sense to where I take us to a place that's not correct. I try to always find what is the truth and hold on to that. And if I'm not certain what the truth is, I find someone that I trust that would lead me towards truth. 
In this case, uh, it's Dr. McGee, who's always uh, just perfect for me. And the other one is uh, Dr. John MacArthur. Um, I find uh, John MacArthur one of the most intelligent, one of the most uh, brightest stars, if you would, uh, on, the, on our setting as believers in Jesus Christ. He is so intelligent and so wise. Well, Dr. McGee writes this about these particular verses. He says, these are the most misunderstood verses in Scripture. Well, when I saw that, I thought, I got kind of panicked. I said, oh my gosh, if Dr. McGee says that, what am I going to understand? How am I going to get this? And so I really held on tight to the commentaries that I read concerning these words. Read with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. Read with me just verses 18, 19, and 20. It's such, to me, it's such a fantastic place in the Word of God. It was, a, it, was a, it was a place that I wished that I could have been a part of, just to watch it, just to watch it, just to see how did our Lord handle this incident within His life, within the life of, of mankind. It says in verse 18 of chapter 3, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. You know what that's saying? Eight people. Do you know how long it took Noah to build that ark? 120 years. He preached to the people on the earth for 120 years, and only eight people, only eight people came to believe him and go into the ark with him, and they were his family. I think about, you know, preachers that that are put under the pressure by the congregation. You know, you're not winning people to Christ. You want to know something? It's not our business. Our business is to preach the Word of God. Noah preached and preached and preached, and only eight people came to Christ. And I came to a conclusion last night. I said, in my heart, and I said to the people, and I said in the first service, I'm going to say to you, I've never heard anyone ever say this before. I never wrote it down. It just came upon me last night. You, all of you, are a congregation of one. Every one of you are a congregation of one person. And there's only one person that you're going to impact in your lifetime, more than likely, and that is yourself. And I asked last night, and I asked you, how are you doing with your congregation? Is your congregation really walking obedient with the Lord? Are you able to reach them to the place where they walk with Christ with all of their hearts, with all of their soul, with all of their strength. I'm my congregation. And I'm trying with all my heart to be conformed into the image of my God, whom I love with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And I'm trying to be a man of God. And I am my congregation. Now, by the grace of God, I made it, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I might impact one of your lives just as you might impact mine. But the congregation is you. It's you. 
And so Noah preached for 120 years. And after preaching for 120 years, eight people, eight people came to walk with him and get into the ark. Now, I haven't prayed yet. We wish moms all a happy Mom's Day. So I might even Stephen there on my book notes. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, that we get to celebrate uh, the women of our church. Every one of them, Father, moms or not, are of great importance to us. I pray that by the grace of God, we will be a, a group of men who who will impact the, the women that we come in contact with, for the husbands that we would live with our wives in an understanding way. For the rest of us as men, that we would treat the women of our church with great dignity and honor that they so richly deserve. And now, Father, we just read some of the most dynamic verses in all of Scripture, really. Dr. McGee says it's, it's misunderstood and so, Father, I pray that you would empty me of myself, that you would move me aside so that I do not interfere with what is the truth of this passage so that we might understand it because it is critical. It is really critical, Father, for us to understand it. And so I pray, Father, to myself and to everyone here that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. Teach us, dear Father. Teach us. So that we become more and more in tune to your word and become more and more conformed into the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name, Father, that we come before you, this church, every time we open its doors. We come to you in the name of your Son, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read verse 18 again. I want you to look at it because it's, it's critical for those of us who have trusted in Christ. It says, Christ also died for sins once for all. Take a look at those three words. Once for all. He died for the sin of this world. The, word one for, the words once for all in the Greek is H-A-P-A-X. It means to not require repetition. He did it once. He didn't have to do it anymore. He died for sin one time for all. Just, it says, go on reading in verse 18, the just, meaning himself, for the unjust, meaning all of us, sinners, all of us have sinned. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Paul also wrote in Romans 3.23, for all of us, have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of the God. So He is the just who dies for us, the unjust. Why? goes on to say in verse 18, so that He might bring us to God. Having put, being put to death in the flesh, that's His humanity. He was a man, and He died on the cross as a man, but He was made alive in the Spirit. And in the Greek Language, the construction of this verse, the definite article the is omitted. It's not there. It is omitted before the word spirit. Therefore, what Peter is teaching here in the 18th verse 
is that he is not referring to the Holy Spirit. He is speaking to the fact that Jesus Christ was and always has been alive in his spirit. Though his earthly body was nailed to a cross and died upon the cross and needed to be resurrected, his eternal inner body has always been alive. That's our Savior. And Peter uses the example of Jesus Christ here and his suffering to let us understand how it achieved God's triumphant purpose. What we're going to see is the purpose of God in these two or three verses. Why did God go to this prison? What, what, what was the reason? We're going to learn. And all along, as we learn through the, the suffering of Jesus Christ, His triumphant purpose... All along, it should allow you and me to understand that the suffering, the difficulties that we are going through has a purpose as well, if for nothing else, to mature us, to grow us in our faith. Now, let me say this. Get out behind the pulpit and get in front of you like I should be as just one of you. Look at I'm, I'm, I'm crystal clear on suffering. The last couple of years of my life, I've gone through waters that I would not wish upon any of you, not a one of you. And I've gone through these waters and I've asked, tried with all of my heart to accept it and to ask God to give me an answer and ask God to help me through it. And by faith I am trusting Him as I go through this trial. But I'm a human and I, there's times where I see no purpose in it. None. No purpose at all. And why am I going through this? And, and in my humanity as a man, I, I, I struggle with that, just as I'm sure any and all of you do on difficult things that you go through. And what the Bible is saying to you and me is that He is going to show us His purpose in your life and in my life through the difficulties that we are going through. And we've got to learn to trust Him in that. And so I am trusting Him in my, what I'm going through. But let me tell you something, I'm doing it hypocritically I say I trust you by faith dear father but in here I'm wondering what the heck's going on why am I going through this I understand I'm going through it and I'm willing to go through it would you please let me know why at least let me know why and there's no answer and so when I come to my senses I say okay father I trust you by faith but no, no, Father, I'm lying to you right now because I'm wondering all about it. See, I, I, that's the way I pray to God. I don't try to, I don't try to, I tell Him the truth in my heart because I know He knows it anyways, you know. No sense saying, oh, everything's fine. Don't you worry about me. I got it all together. He knows you're lying to me. You're lying to me. No, Father, I don't have it all together. But when it comes to it, I'll try to believe you by faith. Just teach me. And so I, I'm not here to try to say to you, you can go through this trial and, and there'll be no problems. No, it, it's a process. But I do believe this. No, I, don't, I don't vary in my belief in this. I believe that God is allowing me to go through it for a purpose. I just don't understand it and it doesn't make sense. And I feel like, why don't you give it to somebody else? Let them do this. You see, at the heart of the gospel is this one true fact. Jesus Christ was perfectly righteous, perfectly righteous. And He died 
for the completely and perfectly unrighteous. That's you and me. He died for us. And He is showing us that He triumphs over death and sin and hell and all His other things. And He triumphs through His undeserved suffering upon the cross. And through that suffering, the end result was God's purpose to bring salvation to the world. And so our Savior died for a purpose. Now, why did He go into this prison? What does that mean? Was there a purpose in that? And I am here to say to you this morning, there is such a great purpose in it. You're going to, I think, You're going to love learning this this morning if you don't already have an idea of it. You see, because of that one event, the just suffering for the unjust and His dying upon the cross, God fulfilled His intended purpose for His Son. In verse 18 that we just read, His purpose was that we might trust in Him. Let's take a look at it again. He died, Christ did, verse 18, for sins. My sins, your sins, once and for all. He doesn't have to do it again. He did it one time. That was sufficient. What reason? So that He might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so what we learn from verse 18, that God's purpose in His Son dying was for you and for me to come to know Him to come into trust in Him so that our sins would be forgiven so that we would be able to come before God clearly as righteous as His Son. Not our righteousness, but His righteousness in us. What's the other reason He died? I wonder how many of you have thought about this. At the same time, He died to show His purpose to show evil, faithless people and spirits that He fulfilled the intended purpose that God had for Him on this earth. And that's verses 19 and 20. Let me read to you out of two verses in Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, it says this man, talking about Jesus, was delivered over, note, by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. God had a plan and a purpose for His Son to die upon the cross. And so, the writer of Acts says, you nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But, verse 24, God raised him again, put an end to the agony of death, since now it is impossible for him, our Savior, to be held in it, death's power. So how has our Lord made all of this possible? Well, it's recorded in these two verses. Verses 19 and 20. What did he do in 19 and 20 that showed the purpose of God? He showed to us, in verse 18, the purpose of God. So that we might be brought to God with the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. He died for us. Why else did He die? Why else did He raise from the dead? Well, this is where Dr. McGee and John MacArthur part ways. Dr. McGee only writes about this in about a paragraph this long. It's, he just said it's the most misunderstood passage in Scripture. And then he only uses this much space to write about it. 
On the other hand, John MacArthur, whose commentary I read, he moves forward through these two verses without a word, without a point of doubt. It's typical to John. I've had the privilege of knowing John MacArthur. He is one of my heroes in the faith. I love that man. And so what John does, the very reason I love him, he is so assured of his study of the Word of God, he is so doggone smart that he knows what he knows is true. I've heard him say this once. He says, if it wasn't true, I'd change my mind, but you're wrong and I'm right. I've heard him say that. He is so assured of his studying. And so I held on to these two guys. In verses 19 and 20, read them again with me. In which also he, talking about Jesus, went and made proclamation to the spirits who are now in prison. Who are these people? Who is he preaching to? I know he's preaching because it says in verse 20, they were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight people, only eight, were brought safely through the water. In verses 19 and 20, in text, in verse 19, for instance, when it says, Christ went and made proclamation, those two words, made proclamation, it says that he is preaching. John MacArthur says, because of those two Greek words, made proclamation, he says that the Greek language indicates that Jesus Christ purposefully went to an actual place and he made a triumphant announcement to the captives that were being held in this prison. And he did this before he rose on the third day after he was nailed to the cross. So in the interim, between the cross and the resurrection, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ went to a place called the prison and he made a proclamation of his triumph over death. The verb made proclamation in the Greek is K-E-R-U-S-S-O. It means that Jesus Christ preached or else herald, it could mean one or the other, of his triumph over death to some spirits who were now in prison. Who are the spirits? Well, the Greek tells us that as well. We are told, John MacArthur's notes, we are told that Jesus Christ directed his proclamation to the spirits and he uses the word for to the spirits as uh, uh, P-N-E-U-M-A-S-I-N. That means, that is a word that is used in the New Testament that never refers to people, human beings, unless it specifically says so. Like in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, for instance. Uh, it says the spirits of righteousness. That's talking about people. If he wanted to speak about people, he would have used the word P-S-U-S-C-H-I. You know, the Greek language is so wonderful because it really narrows it down. That is a word for souls. So what Peter is talking about here in verses 19 and 20, he's talking about spirits. He's talking about demons. He's talking about fallen angels who are bound in some prison somewhere. And we learn what prison it is and where it is in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 says, The fifth angel sounded a trumpet, and, and, he, and he said, I saw a star from heaven fall upon the earth, 
And the key to the bottomless pit, bottomless pit, was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and it was so terrible. It says that smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of this pit. In the book of Revelation, seven times, seven times it uses this word bottomless pit. It is in the Greek A-B-U-S-S-O-S. It always refers to the abode or the place or the prison of demons and fallen angels. I want to say something here that I've said to you before. You need to know this. You need to understand this clearly. The bottomless pit, hell, uh, the abyss, whatever you want to call it, was never made for human beings. It was never created for humans. This place, this place called hell, was a place that was simply and purely only for fallen angels, demons, those who, a third of them, went with Satan. When Satan rebelled against God Almighty, he left the heavens. He said he wanted to be like God Most High. And a third of the angels followed after him. These are some of those that are in this bottomless pit. And Jesus Christ goes to them and makes a proclamation to them. Scripture teaches that God had chosen to imprison certain demons and fallen angels for their disobedience. I'm telling you folks, hell was never made for human beings. Human beings choose to go there. I mean, have you ever, ever been around anybody share Christ and they say, you know, I can't wait to go to hell, be all with my friends. And, and I almost, almost gasped when I heard, hear somebody say that to me. They have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea the, the depth and the, and the terribleness of what they just said. I've heard a guy on TV who is, I mentioned his name last service. I, all right, I'll mention him. Bill Maher. Don't listen to him. Don't, don't ever listen to him. He's, he's so full of baloney. But anyways, he, he hates uh, religion. And he hates Christians. He hates religion. And, and I heard him say on his show, on his show he said, I, I can't wait to go to hell. And I think to myself, man, you have no idea what you just uttered. You have no idea the, the audacity for you to say that. That place called hell was not made for you. It was made for the demons and fallen angels, and you're choosing to go there. And there's myriads of people who have rejected the news of Jesus Christ and are choosing to go there instead of heaven. Breaks my heart. Ought to break yours as well. Who are these spirits? Why are they... Not all demons are in this uh, place called uh, the bottomless pit right now. Who are they? I want you to turn to Genesis, first book in the Bible. And I want you to look at the sixth chapter with me, please, and hold it there for a moment. I want to read out of some of the verses. I think it's clear who they are when you read this. It says in verse 20, I know I asked you to turn to Genesis 6, but I hope you didn't lose your place in, in, in 1 Peter. Look back at 1 Peter, just flip it back and look at verse 20. Verse 20 says this, the spirits who are now in prison are those who were once were disobedient 
when the patience of God kept waiting in the day of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight people, were brought safely through the water. Only eight. The spirits are the demons who have cohabitated with women in Satan's failed attempt to corrupt the human race. Look what takes place. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. It came about that when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. Okay, good deal. They've had boys and girls. Daughters were born to them. Verse 2, that the sons of God, these are the fallen angels. These are the sons of God. They saw that the daughters of men, in other words, the women, human women, were beautiful. And so they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Verse 3, Then the Lord God said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, I've heard all sorts of people wonder, Who are the Nephilim? It is explained here. The Nephilim, it says, verse 4, were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God, demons, fallen angels, came in to the daughters of men, women, and they bore children to them who were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. These are the Nephilim. Nephilim translates the Hebrew word meaning fallen ones or those with great power that crush people. In other words, they were violent, terrible, terrible people that were walking the face of this earth. This raises the question for all of us, how can a spirit, how can a demon marry a human being? How does that happen? As it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, they take wives for themselves. This is... Genesis 6, verse 2, is the first biblical record of demon possession. Demons, fallen angels, indwelling with humans. This is also a phenomenon that our Lord encountered when He walked this earth some 2,000 years ago. Demon possession. In Genesis chapter 6, these demons entered into men's bodies and had intercourse, married their daughters. Now look at chapter 6 of Genesis. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. You're going to see some of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Verse 5, Then the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of their thoughts and their hearts was only evil continually. Verse 6, read it, and I don't know what you're going to feel like. All I know is I, I, I wept when I read it. This week as I was studying, it says the Lord was sorry that He made man. He was grieved in His heart. It's my full intent to try to live my life without making the Lord God sorry that He made me. It's my full intent to try to live my life that I would not grieve my Lord. And yet he says in verse 6 that he was sorry that he had made man and he was grieved in his heart. And so it led him to say to Noah in verse 7, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land 
from animals, from man to animals to creepy things and to birds in the sky, I am sorry that I have made them. Ah, it's a sad commentary. That people were so open to demons, to evil, to sin, shows the evil of mankind at that time in the days of Noah. And the product of that wicked demon possession were children which produced a generation, Nephilim, that was nothing but corrupt inside and out. So corrupt that, that, that God felt that they needed to be destroyed. Look at verses 11, 12, and 13 of chapter 6 of Genesis. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. These Nephilim people, this generation that was an encounter of women with uh, demon-possessed men, became, the children became so violent that God said the earth was filled with its violence. And so it says in verse 12 that God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Verse 13, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence. And because of them, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. And thus comes the flood. Thus comes the time where Noah finished the ark, pleaded with mankind to get into the ark, to trust in God, and they said no to him. Only eight got in the ark with him. And I want to say to you that in time, I don't know when, but boy, it just... Look at what's happening in this world in which we live. If you watch the news at all, and I don't even know whether I should encourage anyone to watch the news. But you see what's going on in this world in which we live? The violence. The utter violence for violence sake. Killing people just for the, 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 the terror of killing people. And then what happened in Baltimore and what happened in... Where was it? The other place. See, it, it just so many things you hardly remember. Um, Ferguson. It's the violence and the and the the, the, the out of control of, of our of our country is just right there before us to watch. And I I believe that there's going to be a time that our Lord's going to come back. And for those of you who have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm begging you, get in the ark. Get in the ark. In other words, come to trust in Jesus Christ by faith. You see that when He comes back the second time, this earth, nothing will survive except, except like the eight in the day of Noah, those that survive will be those of us who have by faith trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Come to know Him. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ yet, what in the world are you waiting for? better explanation more more evidence in the day of Jesus Christ the demons themselves put on the screen uh, Luke 831 for me please Daniel Jesus was going to send some demons into the abyss and they pleaded with him it says they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss they were so overwhelmingly frightened by it. I don't know how they knew. Maybe it's like church gossip. 
it got around. Don't go to the abyss. It's terrible. So what happens? Turn back, please, to 1 Peter. Jesus goes to this bottomless pit, this abyss, this prison, this place called hell. He goes to the worst of the worst of Satan's fallen angels, those who were totally disobedient, tried to corrupt the world by, by indwelling human beings and having intercourse with their daughters. And Jesus goes there to proclaim His triumph over their hero, Satan, along with His triumph over sin and death and hell. I would have loved to have seen what He... Wouldn't you love to have been there, Joe? Wouldn't you love to have seen that? What did He say? How did He say it? Was He angry with them? Was He gentle? Well, he says, I told you so. What did he say? What I believe I know of the Lord now, in this state that he is in, he went there and said, look, guys, I'm no longer the Lamb of David. I am now the Lion out of the tribe of Judah. And you're looking at the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And you should not have fallen when you did. And I believe that I'm saying to anyone that can hear me right now, don't push away from this one called Jesus Christ. Don't wait to see Him, to hear Him when He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because the only thing lying ahead of you then will be judgment. Now, Dr. J. Vernon McGee takes a whole other look at this. Very short, but he says that it was not Jesus Christ who went down and preached to them after He died on the cross. No, Dr. McGee says. Dr. McGee believes that He preached through Noah just before the flood. Verse 20, When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. For the 120 years Noah had preached the Word of God, He only saved His family, a family of eight, nobody else. Dr. McGee believes that that this was the spirit of Christ in Noah. And those who rejected Noah, Christ's message, were those who were sent to this prison, this bottomless pit. Whomever you choose to believe, Dr. McGee or Dr. MacArthur, Peter's original point is riveting for you and for me. And his point is said this, that, that all of us are going to suffer to one degree or another on this earth. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer is irrelevant. We are all going to suffer for sure. But he teaches us in chapter 3, verse 14 and 17, that we are to suffer for the sake of righteousness and we are hopefully to suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. This suffering that our Lord teaches, it's not a disaster in your life, nor is it in my life. It just seems like it. But rather, it's a path to spiritual victory. It's an example of triumph that God will show us one day in our lives. 
just as we see it through His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, through all of this suffering, Jesus shows every single person that He conquered sin, and He has victory over sin, death, and Satan. He is who He says He is. Look at verse 22. He is now at the right hand of God. That means the power of God. He's gone to heaven, and angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to Him. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. How is your congregation of one doing? Take care of your congregation. Help yourself to grow in your faith. Help yourself to walk righteously righteously with your Lord. Love Him with all of your heart. Reach. Reach your congregation of one. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Lord, I I so much in love with your son. I really am, Father. I just I just I'm in awestruck by everything he does. I mean I would have loved to have seen how that all took place there in that bottomless pit. I just I just wonder. I'm I'm sure that in my humanness I would have died just looking at it. I would have loved to scene. I love my Savior, Father. I love for what He has done for me, and I, I pray that everybody here in their congregation of one loves Him as well and is committed to following Him, understanding and learning about Him, and that the difficulties that we might be going through right now, one day, Father, You'll show us the purpose of it. Let us, in the meantime, walk through it with faith, best we can. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you to sit tight. We're going to anoint the elders this morning and want you to be a part of that. I want you to see what's going on. So I'm going to ask Dave and, and uh, if Rob's here. I think Rob's upstairs teaching. Oh, yeah, Rob's here. And uh, I don't know if Brian's here or not. I'd like for the, the leadership of the team to come on in. And then, oh, Mark. Mark, come on up, please. And Dave is going to explain what's going to take place right now is we're going to have the privilege of anointing three of the most precious men that, that God could have ever brought to this church at this time. Dave, would you please take place here? Thanks. Good morning, afternoon. A few weeks ago, uh, I was able to come before you and present to you three men that were candidates to be elders. And we get to complete that process this morning, as Pastor John just said. I want to bring them up uh, for you now, uh, Bruce Cook and Russ Marzoff and Doug Renault. They, lo- they love coming up front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Thanks. I want you to know that, um, that while they have not been officially elders for the last month or so, they have been working as elders, uh, meeting and, and helping us with ministry, helping us uh, make important decisions for this church. And I, I, I just want you to know this. So when you go home and you think about these, these guys, or if you go have cake with us, because we're having, we have cake again. If you're here for breakfast and you got some cake, there's actually more cake. And an, oh, they brought another couple of cakes out, so we get to have more cake afterwards uh, to, to celebrate. Um, but when we meet together, 
there is none of there's just no pride there's no arrogance there's no personal agendas with these men these are guys that just truly fulfill what you read in in first uh, timothy 3 about what an elder should be just with a pure heart their agenda is god's agenda they want to serve the lord that's so obvious with them and they know the word of god so well and they are such men of prayer that when we're together uh it's a pleasure uh, we do a lot of laughing even though the work of the Lord is serious, there's just a joy in it. Um, but I, I just, I am so thrilled that we get to all be a part of their ordination today as elders of our church because these are amazing gifts of God to the, to the Rock Community Church. Uh, we're going to close in prayer in a moment. I want to remind you that if you need prayer for anything today, our prayer team, as always, will be right over here at the end of service and they would love to pray with you. And there is cake after this. And, and if you don't know all or some of these men, please come up and say hi to them after, after the service. Get to know them a little bit. It only takes about a minute to get to know them. <laughs> Pastor John, would you please lead us yeah, in prayer? Yeah, I want to say a couple of things, if I may. One of the joy of, uh, of what I do is a part of this church is the people that, I, that God has allowed me to be surrounded with. And these three men are... Each of them, in their own way, have such an impact on my life. Bruce here, who I have my hands on, is such a man of God. This guy is a teacher's teacher. He loves teaching the Word of God. He loves dwelling into the depth of God's Word so that he would understand it and pass it along to those he's teaching. He has been a blessing to this church beyond the wildest dream. This gentleman here in the middle is Russ. And Russ is the joy of my life insofar as every Wednesday morning I woke up the other day realizing that there's going to be Wednesdays that are going to come ahead of me that I won't be able to gather together and talk with Russ. I'll be up in Oregon and he'll be down here. And it made me, try, it made me cry because this guy is such a blessing. He, we laugh together. We talk about the things of the Lord together. We are such a fortunate church to have him as well. And thirdly, this man here is hard to explain because, <laughs> no, because he's invaluable. Of all, they're all valuable, but every church needs a prayer warrior. Every church needs a man that stands upon the prayers of reaching to God for the congregation. And Doug and his dear wife, Kathy, are these people in our church. And so every time I think of him, I, I, am, I am honored, honored, honored that as a church we have this man who will pray for us at all costs and will lift whatever it is that we need lifted up unto the Lord. He will do it with, without, without fail. And so I have the privilege of taking some oil and just putting it on their foreheads and and anointing them, and, and this oil is, is just, it's, I read this, it's just, it's, it's olive oil <laughs> that's fragrant. Um, the oil is nothing. The men is, are everything, and our prayers are. And so we're obedient. God asks us to anoint them with oil, and we're going to do it. And so I have the privilege of doing that to each one of them, and then I'm going to pray with, for them, but I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand. Wait a minute. Bruce, words cannot express how much we are honored that you are
part of our church and do what you're going to do here for this, this cause of Christ. God bless you, Bruce. Russ, God bless you as well. Thank you for all that you're going to bring to our church. Thank you for the guidance you will bring and the, and the love and the comfort you'll bring to us as a group of people. God bless you, Russ. And Doug, thank you for more reasons than I can put into words. You uh, mean the world to us. Thank you for your prayers and thank you for your faithfulness and your kindness and all the things you bring. And I pray that God will bless you as well in this place. And now, folks, would you mind standing with me for just a moment? Father, we want to thank you for this, this time. These men, this church, it's an amazing place. Father, you've so blessed us. I thank you for Mark being here. I thank you for what he's going to bring to our congregation in the, in the months and the weeks and the years ahead of us. Father, I'm excited to, to hear and come back and to see. In the meantime, Father, bless, bless Bruce and, and Russ and Doug, their families. Help them to watch over us, care for us as a body of believers. I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.